to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter two. Matthew chapter two, I'm going to read and preach verses one through 12 this morning. The story of the wise men coming to visit Jesus. We are still in the early part of the Gospel of Matthew which focuses on the genealogy and birth and early years of Jesus. Chapter three is when we transition to his public ministry when he was an adult. But we have a few things in chapter two that we're told about his early years. Starting with the story of the wise men who come to visit him. This is a story about worship, ultimately. Jesus is worthy of worship and the wise men understood that and they came from far away to worship him. But those who were near, King Herod and the chief priests and the scribes, they did not worship him. Instead, they seemed to be worshiping other things like their own power and position, which they felt was being threatened by the birth of this new king. And so they didn't worship him. And I think we can relate to them because sometimes we do the same thing, don't we? We don't always worship Christ in our hearts, in our lives. Sometimes we worship idols things that take the place of Christ in our affection and devotion. Things like money or beauty or security or relationships or the approval of others. We tend to love those things more than Christ. We seek them more than him. We worship them, really, when only Christ is worthy of our worship. I think this story of the wise men coming to worship Jesus in contrast to Herod and the chief priests and the scribes can help us to see the folly of idolatry and the wisdom of worshiping Christ. Let's pray and ask God to help us and then we'll begin. Our God, we thank you for this wonderful passage about the wise men coming to visit Jesus to bring him gifts and to worship him as the one who was born king of the Jews. And we pray that as we look at this passage now together and hear it preached, that you would open our eyes to the truths you've revealed to us here. Teach us more about our savior and how worthy he is of our worship. Convince us again of the folly of idolatry and the wisdom of worshiping him alone. We pray together in his name, amen. Amen. Matthew chapter two, reading verses one through 12, and this is the word of God. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews. For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea. For so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. 
Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. As you can see in your sermon notes there, we'll look at the passage before us under two main headings, the wise men and Herod, verses one through eight, and the wise men and Jesus, verses nine through 12. In this first section about the wise men and Herod, we'll consider first the wise men's question and then Herod's response. The wise men's question and Herod's response. The question the wise men ask is in verse two, but we're given some context in verse one. We're told in verse one, Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. That's the context that we're given. Note a few things here. First, it says that this took place after Jesus was born. We're not told exactly how long after he was born, but it was probably up to two years after which is a bit different than how the story is often told. And that's based on a few of the details we're given. For example, down in verse seven, we read this. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And we actually learn down in verse 16 why he did that. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. So this took place after Jesus was born, but it was up to two years after he was born. And it was in the days of Herod the king, that is, Herod the first, known as Herod the Great, who was a very powerful ruler, but also a bit paranoid. He killed his own wife, sadly, and at least two of his sons, among other relatives. So he was someone to be feared, though in this story, he was the one who was afraid. After he heard from these wise men from the east, this question, they come to Jerusalem asking, verse two, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. We don't know much about who these wise men were and that's okay. What God has told us is of course what we need to know. We don't know their names even though later tradition has given them names. We don't know exactly where they came from. It just says from the east. And we don't know exactly 
who they were. Were they astrologers? Were they magicians? Were they philosophers or scholars? Or were they kings, like in the song, We Three Kings? Not even sure there were three of them. That's actually just a guess based on the fact that they brought three gifts. There may certainly have been more wise men than three. But more important than all those details is why they came. They ask, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. More important than who they were is why they came. They came to worship Jesus. They saw his star when it rose, which was undoubtedly some kind of supernatural phenomenon, not only because of the timing, but also because of the fact that the star actually moves and guides them, guides them ultimately to the house where Jesus was, as we're told down in verse nine. Perhaps these wise, wise men had somehow learned about the prophecy of Balaam regarding the Messiah. In Numbers 24, verse 17, a star shall come out of Jacob and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. But regardless of the details, it's clear that in God's mysterious and wonderful providence, they became aware of the birth of Jesus who was born king of the Jews and they journeyed to Jerusalem to worship him. We go to great lengths to pursue the things we worship. These wise men went to great lengths to worship Jesus. We should do the same. We should do whatever we need to do to make sure we're worshiping him in private worship. We should do whatever we need to do to make sure we're worshiping him in family worship together. We should do whatever we need to do to make sure we're worshiping him here in corporate worship. We should do whatever we need to do to make sure we're worshiping him in all of life because he is worthy of worship. Naturally, we go to great lengths to pursue the object of our worship. We make sacrifices. We forego certain things. We prioritize. We expend effort. Jesus is worthy of all of that. So consider what sacrifices do you need to make? What do you need to forego? How do you need to prioritize? Where do you need to perhaps expend more effort? Because Jesus is worth it. An example of the wise men shows us that. J.C. Ryle wrote, it would be well for all professing Christians if they were more ready to follow the wise men's example. Where is our self-denial? What pains do we take about our souls? What diligence do we show about following Christ? What does our religion cost us? These are serious questions. They deserve serious consideration. Jesus is worthy of our worship. So let's, let's be wise like the wise men and do whatever we need to do to worship him corporately and privately and in all of life. Well, that's the wise men's question. Let's consider now Herod's response. Herod's response. Look at verse three. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem 
with him. He was troubled. Why was he troubled? Well, again, presumably because he felt threatened by the birth of a new king. His power was his God, and he was troubled that he might lose it, that he might lose what he loved most. And all Jerusalem was troubled with him, perhaps because he was troubled, their powerful but unstable ruler. But they should have been overjoyed, right? Like the shepherds were previously. And now the wise men are. But maybe this is an example of what we read in John 1, 11. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. Those who were near to him were actually far from him, while those who were far came near. So Herod is troubled, and what does he do about it? Verse four tells us, and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So like the wise men, he wants to find Jesus, but unlike the wise men, it's not so he can worship Jesus. Verse five, they told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, he quotes Micah 5, 2, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem of Judea. Verse one said that Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in fulfillment of that prophecy. And he will be a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Not a ruler like Herod who would abuse his authority to benefit himself, but a ruler who would use his authority to shepherd God's people. And of course, that is what Jesus does for us who trust in him. He makes us lie down in green pastures. He leads us beside still waters. He restores our soul. He leads us in paths of righteousness for his namesake. And because he is our shepherd, we shall not want. We shall not lack anything that we truly need. You know, it's noteworthy that these chief priests and scribes knew their Bibles, but they didn't really seem to know the one the Bible was about. They knew the Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem of Judea. They could point to chapter and verse, but they don't seem to be in a hurry to go and worship him like the wise men were. Again, J.C. Ryle, commenting on this, wrote that there may be knowledge of Scripture in the head while there is no grace in the heart. Mark how King Herod sends to inquire of the priests and elders where the Christ should be born. Mark what a ready answer they return him and what an acquaintance with the letter of Scripture they show. But they never went to Bethlehem to seek for the coming Savior. They would not believe in him when he ministered among them. Their heads were better than their hearts. Let us all beware of resting satisfied with head knowledge. It is an excellent thing when rightly used, 
but a man may have much of it and yet perish everlastingly. What is the state of our hearts? This is the great question. Herod wants to know where the Christ was to be born, but he also wants to know how old the Christ would be by now. So we read again in verse seven. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. So if this were a movie, we would sort of see the wise men in the background walking away from Herod and then we'd see Herod turn around with a a mean look on his face. The words of his mouth were, bring me word that I may come and worship him, but the thoughts of his heart were, bring me word that I may come and destroy him. Jesus is under two years old at this point, but the seed of the serpent is already trying to destroy the seed of the woman. Psalm two is already in motion. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. Herod the king set himself against the king of kings because Herod's heart was set on his idols, idols of power and position. The wise men, on the other hand, they wanted to find Jesus so they could worship him. Let's see how that unfolds now under our second main point, the wise men and Jesus. And here we'll consider first the star and then the child. Regarding the star, we read in verse nine, after listening to the king, they went on their way and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose before them or went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. Again, this was clearly some kind of supernatural phenomenon since the star actually guides them to the house where Jesus was. And we remember the fact that God is the one who made the stars. So kids, when you look up at the night sky, remember that God is the one who made all those stars that you see. And God preserves and governs them all by his most holy, wise, and powerful providence. Notice how they respond when they see the star, verse 10. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. They rejoiced, they rejoiced exceedingly, and they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy when they saw the star that led them to the Savior. This can challenge us and inspire us. It can challenge us because we so often experience something less than rejoicing exceedingly with great joy at the prospect of worshiping Jesus. That's because our spiritual senses 
are so often dull. Jesus is beautiful far beyond anything we've ever seen, but our spiritual sight is blurry. Jesus is like a Thanksgiving feast spread out before us, but our spiritual taste buds are dull. His grace and his glory are the most wonderful things imaginable, but so often we just can't see it, we can't taste it, we can't feel it. So the problem is with us, not with him. The problem is not that he is boring, but that we are bored. How sweet and awesome is the place with Christ within the doors, while everlasting love displays the choicest of her stores. But our spiritual senses are dull, so we don't always think it's sweet and awesome. We don't always rejoice exceedingly with great joy at the prospect of worshiping Jesus. So this can challenge us. But it can also inspire us. Because if the wise men can experience this, so can we. Because they were sinners like us. And their eyes had been opened, and so have ours. Though our vision is still blurry at times. And their joy, as we read about it here, instead of repelling us, can draw us. It can be contagious, we can catch it. And by God's grace, we can learn to rejoice exceedingly with great joy at the prospect of worshiping Jesus. We can pray for this kind of joy and then put ourselves under the shower of the means of grace, trusting that God will water us and grow in us this kind of joy. Someday our spiritual senses will be perfect, unhindered by sin, and we can look forward to that day. And until it comes, we can walk by faith, praying that God would open our eyes more and more to the joy of worshiping Jesus. Well, that's about the star in verses nine and 10. Let's consider now the child in verses 11 and 12. And the wise men give the child Jesus three things. First, they give him worship. Look at verse 11. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him the explanatory note in the ESV study Bible says that this wonderfully foreshadowed the worship of Jesus by all the Gentile nations. Revelation 7, 9 and 10 says, after this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. The wise men give Jesus worship. Secondly, they give him gifts. Second half of verse 11. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Again, there's a helpful note in the ESV study Bible. It says that the number of gifts contributed to the tradition that there were three men, but the actual number is unknown. Frankincense is a resin 
used ceremonially for the only incense permitted on the altar. Myrrh is sap used in incense and perfume and as a stimulant tonic. The gifts were likely used providentially to support the family in their flight to Egypt. Third, the wise men give Jesus protection. Verse 12, and being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. They were wise men, so they may have had their suspicions about Herod, but they were not omniscient men, so they needed to be warned in a dream not to return to him. They take an alternate route home. They depart to their own country by another way. So they give Jesus worship and gifts and protection. Notice again the difference between Herod and the wise men. Herod hears about the birth of the king of the Jews and he is troubled. The wise men, on the other hand, see the star and they rejoice. Herod searches for the child so that he can destroy him. The wise men search for the child so that they can worship him. Herod fails to worship Jesus because he is devoted to his own power and position. The hearts of the wise men are devoted to Christ. So they worship him and rejoice in him exceedingly with great joy. Herod worships idols. The wise men worship Jesus. What about us? Who do we worship? Are we more like Herod or are we more like the wise men? Who or what do we sometimes value more than Jesus? Who or what are we devoted to more than him? Who or what do we give our hearts to or cannot imagine living without? Author Tim Keller in his book, Counterfeit Gods, says the following. He says that an idol is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you what only God can give. A counterfeit God is anything so central and essential to your life that should you lose it, your life would feel hardly worth living. An idol has such a controlling position in your heart that you can spend most of your passion and energy, your emotional and financial resources on it without a second thought. It can be family and children or career and making money or achievement and critical acclaim, or saving face and social standing. It can be a romantic relationship, peer approval, competence and skill, secure and comfortable circumstances, your beauty or your brains, a great political or social cause, your morality and virtue, or even success in the Christian ministry. 
An idol is whatever you look at and say in your heart of hearts, if I have that, then I'll feel my life has meaning. Then I'll know I have value. Then I'll feel significant and secure. There are many ways to describe that kind of relationship to something, but perhaps the best one is worship. See, our hearts were made to worship God and God alone. That's why it says in Exodus 20, two and three, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Jesus in Matthew four ten, quoting scripture said, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. But we know our hearts are prone to worship idols. Just about anything, even good things, can take the place of God in our affection and devotion. But Jesus is more worthy of worship than our idols. Jesus is the one who was born king of the Jews, king of kings. Jesus is the God-man who lived and died and rose again to save us from our sins. He is our light, our strength, our song, as we sang earlier. He is the cornerstone. He is the solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. Our idols are not those things. Our idols are not solid ground. They are sinking sand. Jesus is the one who took on flesh, fullness of God and helpless babe. He is the gift of love and righteousness who was scorned by the one, ones he came to save. We are his and he is ours, bought with the precious blood of Christ. There's nothing better than Jesus. No counterfeit can compare to the real thing. Jesus is more worthy of worship than our idols. Herod worshiped his power and position. The wise men worshiped Jesus. Who will you worship today? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would help us to worship you and you alone. Keep us from giving our hearts to idols, to counterfeit gods. May we instead love and serve you and rejoice in you exceedingly with great joy. May we devote ourselves to you above all else. By your grace and for your glory, we pray in your name, amen. Let's take a minute now to think and pray about what we've heard and then we'll sing together.